0: Well, hey, everybody, William Vanderblumen here with my friend Katie Cole. We're back again for another session on leading teams in whatever we're calling this era, post-COVID or with COVID or hybrid COVID or (laughs) I don't even know what it is. But uh, we have Katie and I were just talking before the show about how much uh, fun we've had and how much learning we personally have taken away from these sessions. If you missed our session on diversity with Rufus Smith, you can get that recording. That was super helpful. Today, uh, we wanna continue a focus that I think a whole lot of the country is looking at right now, and that's mental health and emotional health, uh, just kind of the care for the person. And uh, I think everyone is stressed out after the pandemic, uh, but particularly pastors who've been unable to go do a funeral for someone, uh, unable to do a wedding, unable to walk into a hospital, unable to solve things, unable to gather for Easter. And and that'll just uh, wreak havoc on people. So, even my most introverted friends have told me, I actually want to be around people right now. So, <laughs> it's uh, made a mess of things. And we... Uh, are very, very blessed to have with us today two guests, John Walker and Charity Byers. And uh, Dr. Walker and Dr. Byers, if you know them, then you know them. Uh, They have a a client list like you wouldn't believe of uh, normal-sized church pastors to very, very, very high-profile pastors who come to, frankly, their wit's end at some point in ministry and end up going to find healing. Uh, Dr. Walker started Blessings Ranch. I'll let him tell a bit of that story. And now Dr. Byers is taking over. So we thought in, in a month where the country is focusing on mental health, uh, where I just spoke at a conference on mental health, let's extend that conversation a little farther. And and I wonder, Dr. Walker, if you could just give us uh, not just the the what you started and when, but why in the world did you do that? And and what led God to the the ministry that you started?
1: Okay, Uh, well, let's blame it all on God. Um, You know, it was all God's fault, because um, basically, uh, my background is in both psychology and ministry. And um, I figured out pretty early in life that I knew just enough about people to make me really dangerous. And, you know, life as a pastor is not an easy life. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll skip all the long stories, but the Lord really opened up some amazing doors uh, to pro- provide me with a quality education. So, I was able to do my uh, master's degree at Butler University and Christian Theological Seminary, and then my Ph.D. at Indiana State University, otherwise known as Larry Bird University, if you remember anything, you know, about the NBA and NCAA. And, um, and, you know, it, it was really amazing. And then about 1991, uh, the, uh, the most simplistic language I can use is the Lord just spoke to me. And, and my wife was... Um, She's now a retired attorney, but she was a very busy corporate attorney in Houston, uh, then with uh, Phillips Petroleum before Phillips and Conoco merged. And uh, we were going to buy a family ranch um, in South Texas. And, you know, it would be the weekend getaway thing. And basically what God said was, don't buy a family ranch. I need you to begin a Christian leader resource and renewal center. Uh, And so that was really the beginning. And, you know, I wish it would have come with a handbook and a blueprint. Um, But it was a bit of a faith journey to simply say, "Okay, Lord. Um, And, you know, hindsight's wonderful because without the blueprint, then there was only one option, and that's called dependency. And uh, one of the major learnings in my life, how to rely less on me and more on God, and uh, that just started an amazing journey, where in um, 1992, we bought property in Colorado, uh, began to develop, started full-time services in 96, um, and have had 4,000-plus pastors over the years uh, spend time with us.
0: That's fantastic. And now uh, the baton is passing, correct?
1: Yes, yes. I say uh, a really great, great day about uh, three or four years ago is I got to fire me as the boss and and in firing me as the boss, then uh, Charity, um, who happens to also be a PhD psychologist, and my youngest daughter. Uh, And she was named as the uh, CEO for Blessing Ranch Ministries and the chief psychologist. So um, we're in very good hands, very safe hands.
0: That's fantastic, uh, Katie. I want to I want to ask you to out a few questions. I mean, you're right up front with pastors, as am I. But what are you hearing people struggle with, and and how can uh, Dr. Walker and Dr. Byers help us with that?
2: Yeah, well, I'm really excited to have you on the webinar today because I think this is a real challenge for people in ministry. And I know for me, I have a background. I was a nurse before I went into ministry and my specialty was psychiatric and mental health nursing. So this world is one that I've been connected with for a really long time. It's a wonderful background to have going into ministry. But one of the challenges I faced as a staff leader, especially when I was overseeing a large staff, is the balance between my heart to care for people, the acknowledgement of these um, pieces and and really creating a culture where we're talking about mental health, we're making space for people not to be perfect, especially pastors. Uh, John, I've heard you speak before about the complexity of ministry and how that's advanced over the last 20 to 30 years. It's when I grew up in you know a tiny little church in Montana, our pastor had a full-time business and he did have house calls in the evening, ran a youth group and did Sunday morning preaching, one service. And that was his pastoral life. Uh, Most pastors, uh, even in smaller church environments, it's just so much more complex. And the stressors on our own life, on our families, our relationships, Our physical health, our mental health is just is just more demanding. I'd love to know from you all just to get us started. What are some of the shifts you're seeing, uh, not just in the last 20 to 30 years, but in this year that we find ourselves at now? Um, Talk to us about the the kind of sort of profile of even high capacity leaders that before now have been doing well. What are some of the things a typical pastor is seeing because of what we've gone through this past year?
3: Well, I can share a couple of things and then John can pipe in as well. You know, I think that, you know, you have acknowledged this year has just turned everything upside down for everybody. And so I think one thing that we've been seeing is that everybody's, you know, five or 10 year plan has just been disrupted. And especially for the generation who was looking at retirement in the next five years or so, they're now looking at this and saying, I don't know how this is going to happen. You know, everything is, is shifting. And, I, you know, maybe we had planned to be in a, a process of looking for the next person. And there's just been so much disruption to those plans. And so I think for that generation, it's created, you know, for many of them, this position now where there's just so much uncertainty. And so, you know, uh, I think there's some weariness that comes with that. And, uh, you know, just some struggles emotionally that come along with your plans and your dreams not looking exactly like they should. Uh, I think another theme that I've heard a lot from people lately is just how ministry, especially leadership right now, is just feeling more impossible than ever. You know, and we we saw that, of course, happen through this last year where so much polarization has happened, and we all know what that means. So we don't know, need to go yeah. into all those details, but just navigating that, I think, has left a lot of leaders just feeling like, yeah, I don't, I don't know how to do this. This feels impossible. Where you know a, a lot of these guys would say, "I can rise to the challenge. I know how to get through hard things," but this one just doesn't seem to have an answer. And so I think a lot of defeat is another word that is coming with that. Like. When you feel defeated, then I think a lot of the response to that is, I just don't know if I want to do this. So a lot of questions coming up around that. So, uh, John, do you want to add anything?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I, I appreciate the, the very straightforward and informative answer. I'm going to take a perspective of this just a little bit you know, more of a macro view. And as far as what I've been hearing from pastors over the last year and a half, Um Everything that the typical pastor has relied on to, quote, stay in their lane is gone. Mm. So, paradigms for ministry not only are gone, but they're unknown for what's next. Uh, Programs are shattered, and and they're gone, too. Uh, And just all the pragmatics that, that um, we've had in ministry, and this was a very, this has been a very common conversation that I've had in one form or another, because paradigms, programs, and pragmatics are all gone. There's some form of this conversation. We think we have over relied on those three things. And we have so defined the job of ministry that when you take that away, we're finding out we're not quite as healthy as we thought we were. Hmm. And hmm. It's, it's an interesting observation and, 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 and one that I think is worth talking about. Um, you know, we, I too grew up in one of those little churches and, you know, uh, I saw that church uh, the last time in, in in my boyhood, uh, about five years ago, and I said, Wow, that's a small church, that's a really small church. And everything that we used to know about ministry is going, and now pastors are beginning to say things like, I'm seeing things in myself, and they're, they're talking about something within their inner being, heart, mind, or soul that I didn't even know existed. And and you can put a lot of names and labels to those. Um, But maybe I'll hit the pause button there. Because at some point I think we ought to talk about how do you interpret the things you see rising to the surface? Is that good news or is that bad news? And there's a pretty big debate about that.
2: Mm, that's good. That's good. Well, and I think one of the challenges that many leaders leaders are facing, and sort of the angle I want us to uh, dive in deeper to today, is all of us, uh, and I think especially our highest level leaders are experiencing all that you're talking about, this shifting of paradigms the programs, sort of my go-tos, not only in ministry, but my own go-tos as a leader. Like when I get overwhelmed or when I get exhausted or when I'm, you know, feeling like I want to quit my job, these are the four things I do and kind of get myself back on track. Those four things either were taken away or they're no longer working. And so I'm not only facing bigger issues, but all my coping mechanisms that I've learned over decades are no longer functional. And so I'm kind of grasping at straws. But then at the same time as we're navigating each of these individual journeys, we're also leading a team of people who are also all of them facing the same thing. And that flip is what I want love to hear a little bit for you uh, from you about today in terms of leading teams well. Um, My first question is how do we as leaders sort of navigate both things? Because I think um, even Two years ago, when we encountered, uh, or like when I would work with a church and one of the leaders, even the senior leader was kind of facing a personal crisis where personally they were hitting these lids. They could take a step back and take a sabbatical. They could go to your ranch. They could uh take the summer off as a study break, but they would do therapy and all sorts of things. And then they could come back and the place held together and they could sort of step back in refreshed and renewed. But it's not really possible to do that in the same way because their team needs them now more than ever. So give some thoughts to um, maybe to leaders who are out there, leadership teams, we are wanting to kind of juggle both of these. We know we need healthy leaders to lead healthy teams, but they're in a crisis and the team is in a crisis. What are some suggestions you have or what are you seeing leaders who are doing this well? What are some good best practices to kind of make it through this season where both people are struggling at the same time?
3: There's a lot of challenges that we find ourselves in these days aren't there. And that's a great uh, observation about that tension of need that's there. Um, You know, I think one of the things that we've been having a lot of conversation about the last few years is just the desire to bring, uh, you know, mental health services to the forefront so that there can be an investment made in them before we get to the phase of burnout or before the only option is uh, an intensive sabbatical or, you know, some really intensive care. And so I know that right now we're in this position where there might be crisis happening on a lot of fronts for many people, but I think that's one premise that I would put forward is just that I think we do need to really make sure that even for those right now who aren't in crisis, there's opportunity to be dealing with things on the forefront and be able to, to, to make this about emotional and spiritual health and not just crisis management. So I know there's tensions there with how much can we invest and can everybody on staff be in therapy at the same time, you know, we have those things to navigate, but I do think that's an important thing for us to have our eyes on that we're, again, not just looking at, well, who's in the worst shape and let's just take care of that person and say everybody else can wait, uh, but that we really do try uh, to create this system, this culture of care within our church. So that what we're managing are manageable needs rather than crisis on every front, because that's when we really get in trouble. We've got our whole, whole executive team in crisis and we have all the support staff in crisis. And what are we going to do? So if we can do our best to be managing needs when they're at a manageable level... But then we help to avoid that. So those are things that can be met in a lot of different ways. And so, you know, again, when we're talking about just maintaining or taking just the next step up in emotional and spiritual health, well, then there's a lot of opportunities for how that can be done in a way that's not incredibly disruptive Mm -hmm. to the, you know, typical flow and needs of teams. So not everybody needs to go on sabbatical in that case, and not everybody's needing intensive week-long therapy, but how can we be having just you know weekly counseling services, or having um, you know somebody doing mental health check-ins with our staff, things like that? So that's one thing I'd throw out, and John, you can jump in to add to that.
1: I guess my role today is to try to take the macro view, and 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 um, how do I say this? The 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 tension. I think can be answered by a conclusion. And the conclusion is the church has always wanted to invest in the spiritual and emotional health of their staff, Um, some to greater degrees, some to lesser degrees. Um, But the real question then becomes, so what do we do? You know, if we're managing self and we're managing teams, what do we do? Um, and in a little bit, I think Charity can answer that that uh, question with, with some real specifics of, of, of something that actually is available out there. But I'd like to throw four words out um, to, to if you're trying to lead a team, um, how do you evaluate what opportunities you want to say yes to? And what opportunities you want to say no to. And then at some point, I want to come back to that question of whether it's good news or bad news, what we're seeing today. But here's my four words in in evaluating opportunities to invest in spiritual and emotional health. Number one, is it even available? Number two, is it feasible? Number three, is it affordable? And number four, is it reliable? And, and let me really quickly tell you what I mean by those four things, because I think it would be relevant to our discussion, because, you know, there really are a thousand things that are available to invest in the mental health of staff and self, whoever is is, is trying to do that. You know, the question, is it available? Um, You know, in urban settings, there's all sorts of opportunities available in rural settings, like in Colorado and Montana, there's not as many services available. Of course, now we have virtual services and and that's really helpful, but is, is it, how do you know what's good and how do you know what makes a difference? And those are legit questions in my estimation. Secondly, feasible. If this has got to be easy to implement or it just isn't going to happen. You know, uh, I was talking to a, a pastor a little bit ago and we're, we're involved in building an assessment um, instrument and uh, we're, we're saying, hey, we need some people to take this thing. And, and he frankly said, I can't get my people to do anything right now. This just isn't going to happen. We'd love to help you, but they won't do anything right now. Um, so it's got to be easy. If this is difficult, isn't going to happen. Uh, affordable, well, that pretty much explains itself. But reliable means it delivers the goods every time, over and over and over. And one of the concerns I think the church has had with just psychology in general or counseling, whatever you call it, sometimes it doesn't seem like the goods are being delivered. You know, you make an investment in somebody say, hey, we want to help, you know, your staff person and, you know, we, we love you and we want to care for you. And they shell out tons of dollars. And at the end of the day, kind of like you were saying, Katie, they either wind up leaving or there doesn't seem to have been much change take place. So... I'd like to throw those four words out, just just maybe we can discuss some more if you want to, or people can just kind of chew on that. But, you know, what's available and is it available? Is it feasible? Is it affordable? And is it reliable? To, to make some informed decisions. Um, so I'll hit the pause button there again, because I don't, I don't want to just... Well. Get too crazy?
0: No, this is perfect. And my next uh, uh, turning point in the conversation has already been hit. I was going to say, "Hey, audience, you have two of the best psychologists in the church world right here at your disposal for questions." So we've got about forty minutes left, and I would love to see you all say, "If I had one question I could ask, I, I almost, Katie, I almost moved the camera around and was going to lie down on my couch during this whole." <laughs> Session just to try and show. So, a c- couple of hot, hot seat questions for you, um, a couple from the audience, and then a couple that I have as well. Um, and, and of course, my questions, I'm just asking for a friend, okay? Just so y'all know. Uh, of course. <laughs> so, what do you do? This is a question from the audience. What do you do? And, I, and if I'm misinterpreting your question, please write it in differently. But you've got an employee. Uh, they've sought help. They're, they've gotten help. They've actually been hospitalized. They continue to go in and out of help. They continue to get hospitalized enough that their entire team and the work output of that team is really starting to suffer. So how do you, how do you balance the need to do business and the need to care for this poor person? So, so John, guide us through that.
1: Okay, I'll say a few words about that, and then Charity, please jump in and help me out. Um, well, it, it 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 goes back to the reliable point, you know. Are the goods being delivered? And and there are certainly people who are chronically mentally ill, and 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 I say that with a great deal of compassion, you know, versus throwing a rock. There's there's some people that really struggle. With their ability to find a place of well-being uh, within their heart, mind, and soul, and I, I, I guess I don't have like a magic formula. I almost think it has to be a case by case. So, compassion seems to be a at the heart of Jesus' message. Um. And yet a task has been given, go into all the world, uh, teach, baptize, and teach. And and there's got to be a tension. Can you actually do your job? And is our care helping you get to the point where you can do your job Mm -hmm. and, and do that in a sustained way? So, you know, I'm I'm not sure that the church has to be in the business of simply um, providing indefinite care to someone they also pay uh, to do a job. I realize it's a calling and not just a job and, you know, so on and so forth. But almost on a case by case, I think if I was sitting in the senior chair, I'd have to at some point say are our efforts making a sustainable difference Mm -hmm. and that that sustainable difference and go back to our phrasing is really leading to emotional and spiritual health. And um, here's one of the things that I believe blessing ranch is noted for getting actually to the core, getting actually to the root and not doing band-aids and so one of the questions I would be asking myself if I was sitting in the lead chair dealing with a, a staff person, a, a senior staff person or a, um, a, a junior staff person is, is there evidence that the investment we're making is actually making a difference?
0: Mm.
1: And and the difference that is being made is is certainly – Making a difference in their well being in general. But I'd also go to the other side of that coin and say, and is it making a difference in productivity? Mm-hmm. And those are legit questions. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean to just reduce ministry to only the best practices of business.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: A uh, business can learn something from ministry. Ministry can learn something from business. Mm-hmm. And, and so I would do it on a case-by-case thing. But I got to tell you, if I was sitting in the leader, leader chair, I would have to have some kind of evidence that what I am investing in is making, and this is my language, a sustainable difference by getting at whatever the core issues are. And if this is a chronic problem, then you've got to know, you know, is, is this just simply a, a, a biologically based mental health disorder or are we not getting to the core root of the problem?
0: Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Charity, Charity, wanna... I... Oh, so the questions are pouring in. You mind if we bounce back and forth? Yeah, Charity, I, I was I was going to be a little more blunt than our audience, they're nicer than I am. I was going to say, I can't stand it when my car starts to make a noise, because then I have to take them to this thing called a mechanic. And I'm yet to meet a mechanic that follows Jesus, because every mechanic I go to says, oh, now that we've got you, here are the 18 other things that you need worked on besides the little rattling. And it's an endless, it's like going to a chiropractor. You just, it's never finished, right? So... A lot of people think that's what's up with counseling. You don't go till you have a problem, and then they're just gonna find 15,000 more problems. And if you knew my relationship with whatever it is, mother, father, it just is never ending. So one of the questions from the audience is, would you recommend that all church staff have ongoing counseling as a preventive maintenance, or would you wait until there's a problem? Charity, how would you answer that question?
3: Well, I I think it's hard to always make that incredibly black and white, but I think that you know there, again, is a need to be on the side of caring well for our staff so that we don't end up with problems, so that we don't end up in crisis. And so that doesn't have to mean that everybody's going to weekly counseling all the time, but I think we just need to have eyes on people's emotional and spiritual health in some capacity. So churches can do that in a lot of different ways. You know it could just be having you know a a resident staff person who is doing check-ins with people or it could be that we have a relationship with a local counseling center and they do check-ins once in a while or you know we're we're providing something that is keeping the gauge here on people's emotional and spiritual well-being i do think it's helpful for a lot of people to be in counseling who don't say i have a major crisis my life is falling apart i'm dealing with a major mental health issue they're just saying man, you know, I, I just need to figure out how to take this next step up and do it well. Or, man, I just want to make sure that the intimacy in my marriage is really good and we're not just coasting through. Or I, I really want to get this thing figured out in my relationship with Jesus that's just keeping us, you know, a foot apart instead of right next to each other. And I think those are very legitimate things for us to be investing in along the way with our staff because they actually have pretty big implications on the outcomes we get. They seem like small things, but really when you start to connect the dots in somebody's life, these things can have monumental impacts on the way they're really functioning in their role and the way they're really functioning in in their own well-being. So to really try to answer your question directly, I would say in many cases, I think it makes sense for people to be doing preventative care, but I wouldn't say it's a it's a have to for every person on your staff. I would just lean to the have to on, let's make sure we're doing some check-ins and checkups on people.
0: Now now let me flip the script. And then Katie, I want you to, I mean, we've got more questions coming in than we've ever had come in. It's amazing. Y'all keep sending them in. And if we don't get to them, we'll try and find a way to get them answered. But let me flip the script. Okay. So a lot of what uh, I think people who are my age or older grew up in seminary thinking pastoral care a lot of it was what you would call counseling now, and there was a pretty marked shift to say churches aren't doing counseling anymore. A, we're not licensed counselors. We don't have the toolbox. B, there's a legal liability. We didn't. So, at church, the last churches I served, we referred out. So, where should pastors draw the line between caring for their flock and saying, you need to go find a professional? What would you say, Charity?
3: I think one of the phrases that that we talk about is the difference between people who are ready to move forward and people who are frozen. So people who are ready to move forward, um, you know, there, there's nothing that's hindering them incredibly. It's not a major mental health issue. It's not a major crisis. They're, they're positioned and postured to be able to go from where they are now and take a next step forward and i think if if that's where the person is at there's a lot that can be done in a church setting if somebody's frozen it means there's something staying in their way uh, there's something going on in their heart that needs some attention before they're going to be ready and able to take that next step forward in a meaningful way. So I think that's a, a, a way to delineate the difference between, you know, what can be served in the church and what really needs to go to a professional counselor.
1: Excellent. If I, I love that. I think one, that's one, Yeah. One real fast, quick thing is, is whenever I'm sitting down with somebody and trying to make the kind of decisions we're talking about, like, you know, are we going to get you some kind of help? Are we going to do something? The one thing I look for is want to. Mm-hmm. The person, if they don't have want to, save your time, save wow. your money. You can't force anybody to do anything. For our criteria with Bussing Ranch, here's how to guarantee we will not see your person. <laughs> if I could be a little facetious tell your person that they have to go to busing ranch or they're going to lose their job. Mm. That person has no want to most of the time. They're like, okay, ugh. all right. If I'm going to keep my job, I'll show up. But if they don't have want to, frankly, I wouldn't invest. Mm. Um, uh, if they don't have any want to,
0: that's been so much like uh, Jesus. Do you want
1: to be made well? John 5. It's a great question. Great question. So I'm sorry. I just wanted to throw that a little bit That's in. Awesome.
2: Yeah, that's so good. So practical too. And I think really encourages people. We can still have that initial conversation with someone just because someone says I need help doesn't mean we outsource. We can pastor people and shepherd them. And in that conversation, discern whether this is something our church programs or us as ministry leaders can help them, or if we need to get something more specialized to really unstick them or unfreeze them. I love the, the frozen language. That's beautiful. Uh, one reminder I want to give to everybody too, who is leading us staff is when we offer counseling services for many staff leaders, it's the only uh, confidential place that people really feel comfortable sharing what's going on deep on the inside. And we offer that service as uh, ministry leaders and as pastors to our congregation uh, and people feel there's confidentiality and they've got a safe place to express themselves and get some help. It's really hard for leaders to get that from their church. And so that's one of the ways you can be really strategic in offering services or even just highlighting what's available in your insurance plan that can pay for services. Sometimes it doesn't have to be a line item for you, but it's helping people know how to access that kind of professional care. Uh, so, John, I have a question for you here. Uh, for our leaders who are wanting to provide more mental health services from the community, what advice do you have for ministry leaders who want to connect with counselors in the community and build a referral list or resources for their staff? And what do you do about uh, folks that aren't necessarily Christians? Like, what advice do you have of who do we put in our network? Uh, and there are many Christian counselors who really aren't good counselors. And there are many non-Christian counselors who are excellent. And so what are some guidelines for building yes. up your referral resources for staff or your congregation? And
0: sorry to piggyback, yeah. but this is a this this is my question. I'm not asking for I'm asking for me. If if you're interviewing counselors, trying to figure out if it's someone you ought to use, what questions should you ask?
2: Yes, like, please be practical. Tell us exactly what to do. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be simplistic, and you're going to have to help me out here, Charity. Um, but here's where I would start. It, you know, after all the pleasantries, I'd ask them to explain to me, if they identify them as a Christian counselor, what they mean by that. What do you mean by that? Uh I have a, a a friend who's an academic dean. He's 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 just so brilliant, it's silly. <laughs> and and we were talking about, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get some whacks for this when we're talking about Christian counseling. He said, John, you want to know the problem I have with Christian counseling? Sure. It's neither. <laughs> <laughs> like like value engineering. It's yeah. neither. <laughs> and, 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 and and you know I appreciated his point, um, and and so let us let, let's, let's just start say we're going to rule out all cycle babble. There's no 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 need, need for cycle babble. And again, I'm probably going to get in trouble for this one. I'll just apologize up front. We don't need any Christian cycle babble either, because it's just cycle babble with a little Christian ease wrapped around it. So I would want to. Ask some questions about, all right, you know, we often refer people out and we're considering referring people to you, Dr. Joe or Dr. Joanne, you know, tell me what you do with a typical person that's depressed, what you do, how do you start, how do you end, you know, how long do you typically see people, um, are, are you more into short-term intervention? Are you kind of into long-term personality reorganization? Um, on, uh, again, it's a pet peeve of mine. So again, I just have to keep apologizing up front. But when you think about psychology and when you think about theology, tell me how do those two go together? What, 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 what is your, if, if they say they integrate those two, what is your approach to integration? Because, frankly, in a lot of churches, psychology is held in suspicion. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's not trusted. Why? Well, the, because it's not a clearly de- delineated paradigm for integration. Our statement is very simple. The theology is the truth. The psychology is the meaningful application of the truth. Mm. But a lot of people get that one mixed up. They put them on par. So then you just simply choose uh, which seems in the moment to have something better to say, theology or psychology. And they may be incongruent. So I would want to ask a lot of real practical questions like, Tell, tell me, you know, if, if you are a Christian counselor, what does that mean? How do you integrate psychology and theology? What's your normal treatment plan for somebody who's depressed? Um, are, are, you tending, are you tending to see people for short-term, long-term? And um, I, I, I would actually encourage to be kind of bold in that situation and, and, and say, so if you're a person of faith, Would would you tell me about what that means to you? Um, And so to to get back to the other question, I think that you had, Katie, uh, obviously I want them to go to somebody who's competent. That just has a label. Uh, My preference by far would be that that competent person reflect a strong theology and psychology and theology are not in conflict. Good theology will always trump bad psychology. And then I'd want to make sure that um, that that potential uh, helper uh, really had a good relationship within the community, you know, and is highly thought of. And so I absolutely would not be afraid to say, give me me three references of, of people that I can talk to you. Uh, I like I talked to to about you, but clean that up for me, Charity. That was rambling all over the
3: place. I think you did a good job and kind of highlighted some of the important things about psychology and theology, getting to the roots of things. Uh, I'll just add in a couple of quick thoughts and then we can move on. Um, One thought would be just kind of going a little bit more specific with that idea that you brought up about kind of how do you What does your treatment plan look like? How would you approach somebody? I think you can ask specifically about things like, how do you use scripture in your work? How do you use um, prayer in your work? Now, there's kind of two ways to look at that. One, I hope you say you're using them. But two, I've had a lot of people tell me that, you know, these are things that have been misused in the work that they've done. Not, I hope that's fair. What What I mean by misuse is it's like all they've had to offer, you know, let's just pray about that well, that's good and we should do that, but I need something more to help me really get beyond this. Or scripture just kind of being thrown at them, like, don't you know that scripture says, well, yes, of course, but I'm still struggling with that. So just asking those kind of questions specifically could help you really get a feel for the healthy use of things like that. Again, to come back to that relationship between psychology and theology in a way that will make a meaningful difference to somebody's emotional and spiritual health those
2: are such helpful, practical questions. And I think even having a, uh, I know when we put together a reference list, we wanted a variety of people, right? There were, sometimes we have people who need long-term care. Sometimes we want people that is more short-term. And so even knowing people's specialties or just understanding them, I think is so helpful. A follow-up question to this that, um, and then I want to give a scenario from our questions from the audience, but, uh, I know this is a concern for many staff members is what are the regulations? What are like the HIPAA laws, which is protects confidentiality. Uh, when I, if I'm a staff person and I'm sending you someone on my team for counseling, I'm paying for it. I'm like, I want, I want them to have six sessions, maybe with their wife and walk them through and help kind of put this family back together or whatever the crisis is. What can I expect? Or do I expect nothing in terms of information back from you um, so that I know things have moved forward. I think the other fear that many pastors have is there's something going on that we're not aware of that is important for me as a spiritual leader of a congregation to know about what give us some guidelines what are good expectations is there something that needs to be signed ahead of time or is that just something you just don't ever get to know about
3: yeah that's a great question um so i think to answer your question simply you can't expect anything back and that's because confidentiality So is the law, and that means that until somebody permission to release their private information, we are bound by that confidentiality. So there can be no expectation that it's you know just assumed and expected that I will get a report back. However, we do this all the time with churches because they just simply have a conversation with their person they're sending and and say something to the effect of, hey, this would be really helpful if, you know, we could hear a little bit about your time at Blessing Ranch. Uh, we don't need to know the details, so please feel free to be as open and honest as you, you need to be, but it really helps us if we can just hear back from them about how we can help you best as you, you come back. And so uh, if there could be an upfront conversation like that, then we can easily you know, in most cases have somebody sign an authorization to release information. So now they've given the permission that we need to have follow-up conversation with ascending pastor or ascending elder or something like that. And it can be really helpful in many cases for the church to be a bit informed uh, when that person comes back. So clearly if there is a big, you know, blind spot that that everybody had, or if there's just some ways that their team can come around them in a meaningful, meaningful way to help them with re-entry or follow-up. So anyhow, um, it does have to come with the permission of, of the client for that to be okay. But in most cases, we find with a healthy conversation around that, most people are very agreeable to that.
2: Wonderful. That's really helpful. Okay. I'm going to put you on a spot a little bit because we're getting very specific questions. So let me give you, I'm going to take a few questions and kind of give you a scenario for a typical church who's saying, okay, this is important. We know we want to work on it. So we're going to take a staff member, maybe one of our pastors on staff that's a trustworthy soul, or maybe a counselor who's a part of our church. And we really want to do this, we wanna do a check-in with people, we wanna have resources. Uh, We have a request for two specific resources. One, is there any sort of easy assessment that you know of that someone could use to do a check-in? Like what are the questions that would be helpful for an untrained, unclinical person but would help raise a flag that maybe there's more investigation that needs to be done with a staff member. Um, so that's the first one. Is there any easy assessment? And second, do you have any websites or organizations that could help a church get started in terms of finding some reliable Christian counselors or therapists just to get them get the ball rolling in terms of referrals? Um,
1: so assessments. Um, yeah, there is a fabulous one. Uh, you, you get to laugh a little bit about that because actually, uh, I mentioned uh, we're working with another PhD to build exactly that. Oh, perfect! And we're, we're, <laughs> we're in the we're in the beta phase right now, uh, where uh, we're just getting ready, hopefully, to close out that beta phase and do all the statistical analyses because this will be the real deal. This is not gonna be a questionnaire. Um, A questionnaire is assessment light, L-I-T-E. This will be the real deal of assessing spiritual and mental health of where are you at? Uh, There'll be two versions. There'll be a clinical version, um, which really does need to be in the hands of a professional. It'll have 59 scales. It will tell you everything you need to know about um, the unhindered life is the project. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Hebrews 12.1, uh, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, so we might run with perseverance the race that's been marked up before us. So, it's not like we're dismissing the sin side but that gets a lot of attention. There's this hindrance side, and and it has a lot to do with the things that have shaped your life, the things that reside within your heart, the private conclusions you've come to and the life lessons and behavioral, spiritual, relational outcomes, all that'll get assessed. It would be an incredible way To do uh, a a check-in, probably not going to be ready till after the first of the year, uh, but it's
2: coming.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I know the big buildup.
2: In the meantime, what would you recommend?
1: (laughs) And and, and then, and then there'll be a light version. Man, this is going to sound so self serving, but I'm going to just say it anyway and ask. If you've for got anything. a
2: resource, that's why you're here. Please tell no, us the resource. I
1: have no other resources that I would feel good about.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's
1: one reason why we're building this. And again, that sounds so incredibly arrogant. No, no, no. I apologize. I'll just plead guilty. Okay. Uh, and and just things,
2: um, for those of you watching, if you have any resources and want to throw those into the chat, just for other people to be able to do their own research, please do that. If you found something that's good, uh, but I think that makes total sense. We've gotten several questions about that because it isn't an easy thing to have, um, and there aren't a lot of options.
1: Yeah, and Charity, maybe you could say a little bit about the Unhindered Life Project and and so on and so forth. Just to give you a little idea, there's also currently right now another resource that can be taught in the local church that is about building emotional and spiritual well-being, and uh, it's getting rolled out right now as we speak in the beta form. Uh, Seven, six to nine very large churches are going to run the pilot programs for us Would you just say a little bit about that charity?
3: Yeah, well, you know, the the big idea is kind of coming back to a few questions ago where we were talking about all the need that's really there. And so many people are struggling. So we're just trying to bring resources to the church that can be done at a team level. And so, you know, we're offering this um, staff program where, you know, the whole staff together can walk through this unhindered life program where they'll be reading some material and doing some reflections and then we'll also have some one-on-one care available so we're training coaches and a few counselors this summer in the unhindered life model and uh, they'll be available to meet with staff one-on-one so we just want to be able to be incredibly accessible to the church right now with the need that we see is there so this is launching with um Leadership teams this fall in the beta phase, it will open publicly. We plan in uh, January of 22, I believe. And then hopefully beyond that, we'll become churchwide. Is there a
2: way if people want to be a part of the beta program or sign up to be informed when you have steps, how would they uh, find out about that? Because I know there are people right now going like, we need to be a part of that.
3: Well, if they want to um, email me, I'm happy to give my email here and I could get some information to them. So my email is Dr. Yeah. How do I spell doctor? D-R-B-Y-E-R-S at blessingranch.org. So if you want to send me an email, I'll get you connected with some information.
1: Yeah, the, 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 the beta phase of the unhindered life is actually closed right now because we've got so many. Um, we're probably talking somewhere in this pilot program, five to 700 pastors.
2: Oh, wonderful. They're going to run
1: this whole program. If that goes well and if we we'll fall flat on our face and it's just awful and terrible, okay, sorry. <laughs> but if that goes well, then any church can bring that program in and there will be a certified coach to walk their entire staff through that. And here's the cool thing. It will be inexpensive. Very inexpensive, actually. So probably... You could invest seriously in every staff person for less than one normal counseling fee. Wow. That's how cheap we're talking. We're committed to making it accessible and inexpensive so that it doesn't matter what size church you're from, you can care for your staff. If you're a church of 35, you will be able to afford it. If you're a church of 35,000, the fees will not go up. You know, like a lot of times. I'm
2: excited to. We may, William, we may have to circle back a year from now when it's ready to roll out and and help people learn about that. Um, On the second part of that question, Charity, do you have any websites that you use? I know the the kind of compilation of therapists like Christian counselors and that kind of thing. Any websites that you are particular go-to's for you on uh, where someone could start to find some uh, counselors in their area?
3: Well, unfortunately, I'm probably not the best resource for that either. Um, so I probably would would defer to the audience if they've got things that are workable in their churches. If you guys want to share, you probably are a little bit more uh, in tune with all that than I am since we're, uh, we're dealing with people everywhere rather than trying to resource people out for the most part. Uh,
2: I will say on that topic, because I do quite a bit of work in this and helping resource churches. So even if you just Uh, Google Christian counselors. Again, you'd want to use some of the questions that John and Charity gave you earlier and really vet counselors. But so many more counselors have put themselves online. Um, They've added to those networks because virtual therapy has become such a mainstay in this world um, right now, uh, this year. And I found a lot of leaders find a lot of great help in places that aren't where they live. And so just building a network and uh, following up on, more accessibility to higher profile or more skilled uh, counselors that might fit your theology, fit your church culture, uh, be wanting to partner with a church to help a staff team. There's just a lot of people uh, positioning their clinical practice towards that because there are so many people. So I'd really encourage you just to start. um, Even one person that you can refer people to is a start. Um, And then those folks tend to network with each other. And so if you're looking to build a list and you're interviewing someone, ask who they know in their professional circles that would also be a a good fit for what you're trying to offer your team or your church.
0: Uh, well, William, go well, ahead.
2: Any more questions from you in our last few minutes? Well,
0: two that I get all the time that I'd love to have an answer for, okay, other than try and get into Blessing Ranch. Um, gosh, probably this time last year, maybe a little later, maybe it was about June last year. I think. I don't think it's an overstatement to say three out of four pastors I talked to were just about ready to hang it up. And it's just sad. I don't know that what I'm experiencing now is quite that severe, but I kept getting asked, I can't tell if I'm headed toward burnout or not. Am I just having a bad day? Or am I headed toward burnout and need help? What should I be asking And I would just look at them and say, find a good counselor and ask them, so like, help me have some triage questions for people like, am I really burned out or is it Monday and nobody liked my sermon? That's a crass way of putting it. But Charity, what would you say are some clear markers that no, 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 these are yellow or red flags that you're headed toward burnout and need help?
3: Mm hmm. Well, a couple practical things are oftentimes, I think just loss of patience with people or loss of compassion for people. Um's been a big part of what we do is to love people well. and when we lose that capacity, I think burnout is often a part of that picture. Uh, I think to your point about is this a bad day or or yeah, the bad bad Monday, or is this burnout? You got to look at the sustained um, you know uh, experience of that. So, is this monday tuesday wednesday thursday and friday and next week and the next week so i think you can evaluate that as well in terms of what's going on in my life right now is there some major circumstance that i'm dealing with right now or can i kind of not explain why i am feeling this right now so if if you know we're going through some massive conflict on our elder team right now, and I'm having a rough time. Well, that, that's a little bit explainable, and we're gonna guess that this will pass as soon as this issue is resolved. So is there anything circumstantially that could explain this to you? Or are you just saying, I don't know why, I'm, I'm just struggling in a way that I, I don't understand. I think you can also practically look at, you know, some of the criteria for things like depression or anxiety. So depression, um, am I withdrawing? Am I having negative thoughts all the time? Have I lost my interest or my passion? Um, You know, am I on the extreme side? Am I having thoughts of not wanting to live anymore? You know, or looking at anxiety and, and asking yourself some things about that. Am I having thoughts that I can't control or thoughts that are spiraling or getting away from me? Is my brain just going a thousand miles an hour and I can't shut it off? So you can look practically at some of those things to help you understand really just what is the state of being that you're in, because those big struggles of depression and anxiety are often going hand in hand with burnout because, you know, it's just making it incredibly hard to keep going. So usually there's some complicating factors that are going on inside of us when we find somebody who is burned out. Um, so I'll, I'll pause there. And John, no, you that's can a fantastic
1: to that. list. Just something. Yeah, I, I, I'll say one. I got one. Tell me how you're self-medicating. Mm. Good,
0: good. That, that,
1: that's, that's really good. That, that's one of the ones that kind of gets to their uh, core, and if they'll answer honestly, that is an incredible indicator of what shape you're in. If you want to get more specific, it's more like, um, what are you doing with alcohol? How much are you drinking? What's normal? And then, how much are you drinking now? And I'll—I'll I'll be honest. Every time they tell me this is how much I'm drinking, I double it because okay. they're telling—they're telling me half of what they're drinking. Is it? I'm definitely- having—I'm having two beers a day means no. You're having four beers a day.
0: So, so is it? Is it beautiful question? Is it just alcohol though? Because, no. for instance, I have self-medicated over the last year by running more. Noble, but it's gotten a little out of hand from time to time. So, I mean, what are the other markers besides? I mean,
1: there's 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 healthier ways to self-medicate, and there's unhealthier ways to self-medicate. So, I mean, some of the big ones are yeah, alcohol, uh, prescription drugs, uh, the Adderall, you know, phase that everybody went through for you know energy, uh, food, uh, sex overwork um, um, spending and, and excessive spending. And, you know, the list really can kind of go on and on and you can do some healthier ways like, <clears throat> yeah, exercise, but it starts to get extreme. Um, uh, and, and so, you know, that question, if, if your quote friend will answer honestly, really tells an awful lot about how well they're doing because often what the self-medicating means is their normal coping mechanisms that really aren't that unhealthy have failed. Mm. And because their normal coping mechanisms have failed... Then they've turned to, and I'll just use the alcohol example, you know, hey, we all have times of anxiety, but when your anxiety starts to get out of control and your normal coping mechanisms don't work, then that's where substances start to make sense. How well you're sleeping at night is another really good indicator. Um, I don't sleep well, so I guess I must be in really bad shape, so... Mm-hmm.
0: This is so helpful. I have a thousand other questions to ask, but we are out of time and we try and honor our guests time and both Dr. Walker and Dr. Byers have given us an amazing gift with the time they've given us today. Uh, I will say this will be recorded so you can go back and uh, send it to your friend that needs counseling and uh, I'll send it to my friend and uh, hopefully it's a resource. We'd love to have both of you back on sometime. Love to talk to you further, but uh, thank you so much for making time for us today. Katie, anything to close us out?
2: No, I just, I'm really appreciative of your time. And I just want to encourage all the leaders out there that, uh, you are leading a team and these are important things, but you're also leading yourself. And sometimes the best thing you can do for your team is take care of yourself well at the same time. So we're cheering for you. We're championing you. We want you to make it and we know you're going to. So thanks so much for uh, joining us today and we will see you next time.